0: Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, uh, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 329, recorded March 30th, 2023. And uh, I'm Brian Akin. I'm Michael Kennedy. <laughs> and before we want to get started, I want to do a couple things. I want to thank uh, Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub for sponsoring this episode. Please listen to their spot. We've got a very special uh random guest appearance uh, or voice for that, that ad read. So that'll be fun. Um, I also, if you're listening to this, um, I'd like to encourage you to, and you've never watched the live show. I'd like to encourage you to watch our uh, live show on YouTube or streaming. Um, it We usually, rec- today is Thursday, but we usually record Tuesday at noon or 11. No, Tuesday at 11. Yeah. I should have practiced this anyway. Um, but uh, welcome, and the people that are here today are watching um, on YouTube, thanks for watching. And uh, why don't you kick us off, Michael? I got
1: something. I think it'll resonate with you folks. Um, maybe you already are aware of this. This is news to me. Comes to us from Brandon Hannigan. So thanks for sending that in. And it's an environment variable. And in and of itself, it's interesting. And in that it leads to many more environment variables you can play with is also pretty awesome. So... This one is about the Dunder PyCache folder. So I don't know how you feel about these, Brian. I'm glad they exist. I'm not necessarily super glad that they're spread out a bunch of fi- bunch of random folders. So like a lot of my projects have many different modules and different folders, you know, sub-module type setup. And when I run them, they all get filled up with Dunder PyCache folders with startup PYC, you know, compiled Python, like people might think. I think Python is compiled, but yes, Python is compiled. It's just then interpreted, not you know, all the way to machine instructions, right? So those files end up in the Dunderpod cache, which spread throughout your project structure. Sometimes I want to make a copy of that. I want to move that around. I want to zip it up and share it. And I don't want those things in there. And so I'll have to go in and search for all those and remove them, you know, recursively, which is not at the end of the world, but I'd rather they are not there. Or if they were there, could they just go in a top-level thing? You know what I mean? Like could yeah. they just go into a single dunderpy cache that understands the whole structure, not you know every file being treated as if it's unrelated.
0: Yeah. I mean it's better than it used to be of having the PYCs right next to the Python files. Yes. Sorry. That that it is an improvement.
1: Yeah. But, um, but this thing that Brendan said in you can set the Python py cache prefix, which is a path, maybe it should be called Python cache folder. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you you what you do is you set this in your environment variable. Maybe in your user account, maybe in the activation of a virtual environment, uh, if you want it to be a one-off type thing, I don't know. Then when Python goes to create these, it goes, oh, they don't want the Dunderpy cache. They want it over in this directory over there. And so it'll make, you can isolate all of your Dunderpy cache stuff into a separate location on your user profile. You can go and just blast that away whenever you feel like. But most importantly, it's not within your source code if you like zip it up and hand it out or. Things like that.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It
1: says if if this is set, Python will write star.pyc files in a mirror directory tree at this path instead of in dunderpy cache directories within the source tree. This is equivalent to specifying the dash X Py cache prefix equals path option. So hmm.
0: pretty cool, right? Yeah. I also didn't know about the dash X though either. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, this page that I'm linking to is at the top. It has all the command line options. And then almost all the command line options have a ver- um, an environment variable thing, if you want it to just be the default all the time and you don't have to set it. So there's a bunch you can come look through here. So Python path you can set, Python startup. So these are the Python commands that will uh, execute whenever you start Python, which is kind of interesting. Optimize, um, breakpoint, debug. The one we talked about, you can set up a hash seed, so you can get repeatable, deterministic hashing. A bunch of stuff is here. People can check out uh, how you look at warnings, how much warnings you want to see, whether or not there's buffering. So you know, you'll see sometimes things like the standard out will come after the standard error, but the standard error in time actually came after <laughs> the out, right? Because the buffering got out of you know, they they hit the buffer at different periods so you can act th- do things like turn that off turn on malloc stats if you want to track that so there's like a there's a bunch of things you can come in here and uh, play with but that i think the pyc one's an interesting one especially for people who hand out code you know like if you're doing like a training or a tutorial and you're like here i want to give everybody this you got oh, the pyc file yeah
0: right, so i was just looking through there because I'm, I'm surprised that you can't you can't specify which xkcd comic don't link to but yeah, I know <laughs> when done. I import anti gravity, which one? Don't worry, we'll
1: get there. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> All right, well, that's what I got for this one. Um, the, the Python PyCache prefix. Check it out.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about GUIs. We haven't talked about GUIs for a while. It's <laughs> Actually, true, We, we haven't. haven't. We were uh, on such a kick. We were on <laughs> such a kick. Yeah. But um, uh, several people have mentioned this to us. So we thought, thought we'd cover it. Um, it's a package called Nice GUI. And normally, Actually, when I think about GUI, I think about like actual not web stuff, but user interface stuff that's on the desktop. But this is a this is a, a browser based thing. So this is a um, this is a package that's it says it's easy to use Python based UI framework, which shows up in your web browser. Buttons, dialogues, markdown, 3D plots and more. What what's cool is you can play with it all before you even try it. So the uh, the documentation nice. is really great. Um, uh and even just here, I thought this was just like a, a screenshot or something. No, you can just like this is part of it. You can move it and interact with it right here in the the first page. It's pretty cool. Um, the document full documentation is uh, is really pretty pretty great too. I actually want to try to play with this because the the uh, the code really looks pretty easy to write. Um, so for some quick uh, maybe dashboards or some quick control stuff that you're okay with doing through a web browser, why not try it out? Um, the uh, and some of these are. Uh, pretty cool. I was playing with uh, text input. Um, so it's just talking about validation and stuff. So you can have some text and you can just start typing. And it's saying, oh, that's too long. So you can, I mean, this validation is pretty simple of just checking length. But you can do all sorts of stuff like email validation or whatever you want it to do. Because it's just like a function that's calling. So kind of neat. Uh, you got a yeah, validation nice there. Uh, knobs. Knobs are fun. Um, I was playing with the knobs. So uh-huh. the drag knob and turning... Anyway, uh all sorts I, I of like using a, a context manager to, do, to put it into the page with
1: knob. What? Because oh, with knob. <laughs> um interesting. I wonder why. I don't know. Huh. Oh, to put the icon inside it. So you basically it looks like you're focusing the the subsequent commands to be within the container of the knob because you the knob is like a like a circular progress bar type thing and you can put a like a volume up icon inside it.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um Anyway, just all sorts of cool stuff. Joystick. That's really, uh, I don't have a joystick to play with this out, but um, some interesting naming there with the joystick. Um, but uh, n- anyway, uh, so uh, <laughs> moving on, date pickers and all sorts of things. Ooh, that's nice. Cool. Anyways, but UI elements, uh, if, you, if you're okay with trying something new, um, a nice GUI might be right for you. So that's it. It's
1: interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, I when I look at, These types of frameworks that, a lot of times, I feel like what they say is, um, HTML is terrible, the DOM is terrible, CSS is terrible. Let's create a parallel Python or name your language equivalent, where we put Elements in the web page. I'm like, mm. they may have their drawbacks, but at least you have a ton of tools and stuff that apply to HTML and CSS and all those things. Right. But yeah. with this one, I, I think there's a lot of cool widgets and stuff that are here. And I, it looks more like the it's not like we don't like HTML. So let's make a Python DOM that you create the HTML with, but rather yeah. like, how do we make a cool interactive page based on these other additional things like knobs and um joysticks and sliders and and stuff that's not easily part of
0: html yeah and and the places where i would really use something like this are i mean these are this is a short code so uh especially internal tools where or even just stuff for myself if i want to explore some data control like a database or uh got a bunch of you know controlling some system or something and i want to like quickly throw something together something like this would be great for yeah just um doing a, like a one-pager or something to yeah. try it out.
1: So. I also think these types of frameworks would be pretty cool to bring into some kind of um, no, uh, electron JS type thing, where you're like, and, yeah. and here's how you make it an app that doesn't actually look like a web page and give it to someone.
0: Yeah, so one of the things they bring up is like, uh, uh, great for micro web apps, uh, dashboards, robotics projects, like school robotics, stuff like that, smart it's home Probably solutions. that joystick thing, right? Can how you yeah. drive your little. Right um, and then uh, the one of the one of the nice things that I, I noticed about the documentation is they've got a bunch of demos. Um, oh, these are the actual demos. But there's examples. Where did I find those? Is it, it maybe under examples? Well, anyway, there's a whole bunch of like actual code. So there's repos that around that you can try it out with um, with the with different repositories. Maybe it's just on the front page. Anyway. Um, I, I was impressed. Oh, yeah, here we go. Down at the bottom of the front page, there's like slideshows. And even if you want to, will this work with FastAPI? Apparently, there's a FastAPI uh, example uh, for mm. just uh, some some quick repositories so you can try it out yourself. Uh, oh, maybe like an admin page type of dashboard yeah. thing that you can play with. Um, yeah, there's some OpenCV webcam. Infinite scroll yeah. for galleries. Um and I the 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 amount of uh, like demos of components right there, but then as, actually specific examples where you can uh you know with the code with the repos that you can just copy and get started with. That's pretty pretty impressive that they put all that together right off the bat. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like it's definitely worth checking out. Do you know what else is worth checking out? Our sponsor. Yes. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Thank you for sponsoring this episode. And what was the uh key that you what what how did you generate this code, the text? Well, this remember, I,
1: I don't recall who suggested it because I had the American football coach motivational speech version yeah. variant last time. And somebody said, Well, what if it was like Ted Lasso? So I said, Hey, open AI thing. Um, here's the Microsoft ad. Could you rewrite it this time in the style of Ted Lasso.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh it's an odd episode so I get the honor of trying to be Ted Lasso, which I'm not going to get the voice, so apologies. And I did not grow up in the Midwest. So, anyway, let's just get started. Hey, there team, gather around because I've got something real special to share with y'all. Now, you don't you know how much I believe in the power of teamwork and positivity, right? Well, this opportunity I'm telling you about to tell you is just like the perfect assist to your go- startup goal. I'm talking about the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub, folks. Now imagine, if you will, a locker room full of support for your startup, especially if you're keen on that there artificial intelligence stuff. We're talking over six figures of benefits that'll change the game for your team. They're offering you 150 k in Azure credits, and that, my friends, is like having the best player on the field on your side. And what's more, the Founders Hub is giving you all a unique chance to access OpenAI's APIs and the new Azure OpenAI API, <laughs> the Azure OpenAI service. It's like having your own generative AI coach to help you come up with game-winning strategies for your applications. Now, I know I know how important it is to have the right support, and that's why the folks at Microsoft are also offering one-on-one technical advice, helping you with your game plan, scalability and security. Plus, you'll be part of a network of mentors who'll, who know the startup, would like the startup world like the back of their hand. I can't emphasize enough how amazing this opportunity is, friends. And guess what? It's open to everyone, no matter what stage your startup's at. And no funding requirements. Just take five minutes to apply, and you'll be on your way to reaping some massive benefits. So come on, team. Let's harness the power of AI for your startup and join Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub today. Head on over to pythonbytes.fm slash foundershub 2022 and sign up. This is your chance to score big. So don't let it slip through your fingers. And just so you know, the ad you just heard was written by the same AI you'll get access to. Ain't that something? So don't wait any longer and sign up at pythonbytes.fm slash uh foundershub twenty twenty-two. A big thank you for Microsoft to Microsoft for supporting this show.
1: At OpenAI. That sure is something. All right. Well, <laughs> speaking of something, let's talk about Ngrok. Wait, okay. Let's talk about Flask. Like I can't decide. Let's talk about both. So this one I want to cover is uh, an interesting one. So I've talked about Ngrok before. For those of you who don't know, like unfortunately, their website, I don't know what's gone on, but they redesigned it in a way they can't really tell what it does. But it's just, anyway, uh, Ngrok, what it does is it lets you run a command locally and then share your web app, whether that be for an API, someone needs to talk to the API, or just the web app itself. So for example, Brian, imagine you, you had created a cool demo of that nice GUI thing. And you wanted to let some people you're in a meeting with your team, like, hey, you guys, y'all should check this out. This is really, really cool. And what you might do normally would be say, well, let's just fire up a screen sharing and I'll drive it around. But the interaction part of those widgets is really cool. So it'd be better if you could just say and interact with this, right? So if you fire up Ngrok, you just give them a URL that reverse, SH, reverse SSH tunnels into your machine and then they can access it on the internet with their browser and everyone can play with it live, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, I recently used that for, I'm just about to release a course called Python web apps that fly with CDNs like basically how do you do really awesome stuff with CDNs plus Python and Flask and all those things to make your app way way faster well the in order to put that together and test it you've got to let a public CDN get access to your dev machine which like how does that happen and Groc is how that happens same thing with our mobile apps like you can see, like right right here I we had this problem where some of the data wasn't being passed through as headers correctly to the, the server, and we're like, we cannot figure out why this is not working. It's clearly in the headers collection. Why is Python not seeing those? And it turns out there was like a weird case sensitivity issue or whatever. But I just fired up ngrok, pressed debug on PyCharm, and said, all right, try it again. And then boom, I'm like stepping through, like on a, a mobile device, I'm stepping through its interaction with the APIs. I'm like, oh, I see, here's what's happening. And then we fixed it. Super easy. All, all of that is to set up flask ngrok. So, all of those benefits are awesome, but like what I got to do is I have to go fire up ngrok, go over, do the thing, and then come back, right? So, it'd be cool maybe if I could just press go, either run, you know, flask run, or just go in PyCharm or VS Code, and it would just, in addition to starting up flask, it would also start up ngrok, pointing back yeah. at whatever the right port is, right? So, basically, that's what this is. You just, wrap the app in run with ngrok so you get a run with ngrok app and then when you say flask run it fires up the local version but it also fires up an ngrok url that you can share with people oh cool yeah so not not a huge huge feature because sure you can run ngrok on your own but i think it's kind of cool like it basically that means whenever you run your Flask code, your Flask app for debugging, or for dev, or whatever, there's always a publicly accessible address that you can share with other people, or you can type into some other tool. I want to validate an RSS feed. I want to uh, have my API, uh, some API client that is not on my machine, like a mobile app, or some other, you know, think, uh, if this, then that, or one of those types of things. All those can just come back right in, because you always have this public address available. I think is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So if that sounds useful, people can check it out.
0: Oh, man. Okay. So I was just thinking, I wonder if random address, because like I need another URL that I'm not doing anything with, but um, I was wondering if random address was taken and random, random address is taken. Is random <laughs> addresses? <laughs> no, we, we have enough. I mean, <laughs> I've got several that I'm not using.
1: Yeah, so. that's awesome. All okay. Right, cool. Anyway, people can check this out if they they are doing a lot with Ngroc. So by the (laughs) way, one thing that I think would be interesting, I didn't see in the docs whether or not this is easy, possible, impossible, whatever. One of the things you can do is you can set it up so that this um, random address is repeatable. Uh, Otherwise, if you just rerun it, you'll get a new random address, which you got to keep typing Mm. in um, by doing like subdomain type things and stuff. If You've got a paid account. I don't know if it's possible to have it do that or not. But it would be cool if you could make it random but not random so anyway
0: <laughs> not complete just random
1: once and then yeah, yeah random once and let's stick with that for a while all
0: right yeah. what do you got cool. for our last time i want to talk about async so um uh, will McCougan i wrote an article called no async with python knows no async async and it's not that's confused me but it's it's a really well-written article um there's there's times where if you want to take advantage of async Um, you, uh, you kind of have to have async all the way up and down the call stack, right? Or you, maybe that's what it seems like at least, um, to make things sure this all works. But, um, and so that's actually what I guess textual did at one point is made async all the things, but textual now, uh, is async optional um and so this article discusses how they do that and the first part is if you're passing in a callback to uh if you if you're providing a mechanism for somebody to pass a callback in and that callback can you want it to be either a, just a normal function or an async function he's utilizing um the await me maybe uh, pattern that he borrowed from uh Simon Willison so Simon Willison wrote about this a couple of years ago um and it, he shows, he scroll almost to the bottom. There's this, basically, there's a way to, you have an async function and it calls. So the caller is async and you're calling something that could be either async or not. And you you just call something and check to see if it's a coroutine and then await it or don't await it. Um, and that's that's pretty much what uh, Will is showing is you know inspect the callback, inspect the result to see if it's awaitable or not doing it a little bit different method but similar sort of effect so that's neat um so you can you can provide a mechanism to add a callback that could be async or not optional but the other part around is is uh if you're if you're providing an async service that could be called in either an async or non-async you want it to be called by anybody because sometimes like he gives an example of uh mount uh mounting a new widget into into textual um the caller might want to care might care about when that's actually done so they might want to wait for that but they might not they might just like keep going because apparently textual handles it all correctly anyway they won't let something happen but um the caller might not care about when it's done so you, uh to be able to allow both async and non-async callers to call an async method that's a little bit a yuckier code but he provides it so there's there's a this class uh this await mount option so there's uh, i'm not going to walk through all this code but basically there's a way to do it and will has it has the method to to allow you to have and i think that's kind of neat to be be able to provide services and apis that can be called both in uh, async and non-async ways now hopefully This still is kind of ugly, so hopefully as a community we can come up with a little bit cleaner solution, but at least there's a solution, so it's kind of nice.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Will did a nice job of this, and I think it's really a a huge benefit that Textual has the ability to be async, but doesn't force you to be async, because if you're already writing async code, you would like it to be because it's a benefit. You can do more in parallel, be more responsive, but if it means I have to take my non-async code and now convert the whole thing to know about some of parts of it being async. Well, that's a hassle. And I think one of the things that drives me nuts about Python's async. There's a few few little things that just make me crazy about it. It's like, why well, it's it's so close to awesome, right? And much of it is awesome, but for example, if I have if I'm in a function and I want to say here's some async code i want to just run it here so for example async io you know get get event loop loop.run sort of thing or just async run to complete if it's already being called within an async function with uh, some other event loop and you don't know about it under certain times it'll crash and say there's already an event loop or there is no event loop you're like well give me <laughs> just if i if i don't have one give me one if i There is one, just give me that. I don't care. I just need to run something async. And there's always this like weird, I'm not really sure what state I am. And if I get it wrong, then it gives me a, it crashes and I was just like, ah. Um, So I think that makes it challenging to kind of go, this part, we're just going to like isolate off the async, um, which it sounds like Will did here, which is cool. So that's really excellent. Yeah, um, really quickly here too. I've I've had a couple of uh, a shots at this myself as well. Nothing like like published really very much in terms of what Will's doing or what Simon talked about. But like for example, on um, Fast API Chameleon and the Jinja equivalent, like let's you just put a decorator on top of a Fast API function and then it, it turn it returns the the HTML view of that and stuff. But those Fast API functions they can be synchronous or they can be asynchronous. And so what it has to do is it has to say, is this is this function a coroutine? Okay. The decorator has to return also an async one. Otherwise when you say async and it becomes non-async, that's wrong. But if it's async one, you can't return the async, right? Like so you gotta juggle this uh, a lot, which is kind of a pain. And then the other one, I, I created this thing which I put up just as a gist that like just lets you say this async function, we're gonna run it in a way that won't have a conflicting event loop complaint. By constantly managing the background thread and just pushing the work over there and pulling the results back, so yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, that's a, those
0: are that's a cool article. Yeah, uh, uh, and then uh, do you remember the "Call Me Maybe" song?
1: Call Me Maybe. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Await well, me maybe.
0: So, so Chris May uh, added, uh, "Hey, I just defined you, and this may be a sync, <laughs> uh, but here's my variable. await me maybe. Yeah, uh, so, nice. <laughs> oh, well done, Chris. Well <laughs> done. Uh, so yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I don't have any extras, Brian. You got any? I do. Um we'll try to make them quick though. So, uh PyPI has a blog now. Oh, let's uh, pop over to here. PyPI has a blog now. So, anyway, go check it out. There's not my, there's a welcome article. Uh so that's nice. Uh, neat. Uh and then okay, so uh, another extra, apparently uh, Docker. Um no, <laughs> they're they're laying off plans of charging people for the free team plan. Uh which is kind of a bummer for people like me that paid for it anyway. Uh, but you know, uh, anyway, uh, so that's cool. Maybe I won't have to pay next year. I, I guess they're offering refunds or something, but um, I'll look into. it.
1: Guess there must have been a big backlash. I haven't been tracking this, but
0: oh yeah, I mean, like it's it's been a scramble all over the place of people because there's uh, so sometimes. It's a very minimal interaction with it. And then suddenly we have to pay for it and you got to figure out how many users and how many seats and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, or if you want to use it without, so if you, if you want to use it without the user interface, you can use it for free. But if you like people asking, are, are you using it? Uh, yes, we are. Cause we debug with it and everything. Um, so, uh, so I'm glad they're backing off. Uh, I still want to, I mean, of course it's a great service. Uh, they should be able to make money somehow, uh, but um, there should be a, so it's good news. Uh, <laughs> cool. That's a, I only the only thing left I is I have is a joke. Um, do you want to do, do mine first or yours yeah, first? Let's let's hear yours first. Let's go. Okay, do it. it's Mine's just short. sort sort of. I was looking up. Uh, I was looking up some documentation for pytest cov. Um, and uh, noticed at the bottom, so there's a there's mark there's it provides a uh, a no cover marker which is nice so you can say don't cover this test um, and then. There's a fixture. You can also use that as a fixture, but then there's also the uh, no cover fixture, but there's a cov fixture, which, um, why would you use that? Well, it says for reasons that no one can remember, there is a cov fixture that provides access to the underlying coverage in an instance. Some say this is disguised as a foot gun uh, and should be removed. And some things, some think mysteries make life more interesting and it should be left alone. <laughs> I That's love finding awesome. stuff like that in documentation.
1: So. Some think mysteries make life more interesting. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed they do. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: Fantastic. All right. All right.
1: I, I got a quick one for you as well. This one, uh, you knew an XKCD was coming. Um, <laughs> good reference earlier. So this has to do with like some deep thinking into how to make your code last so long that it becomes legacy code and people can use it for a long time and maybe even curse its name a little bit. So there's two parallel universes here. On one, this uh, woman just wrote this code. She says, it it took some extra work to build, but now we're able to use it for all of our future projects. And the caption for that is, how to ensure your code is never used? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then the other alternate world is, let's not overthink it. If this code is still in use that far in the future, it will have bigger problems. How to ensure that your code lives forever?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: and the hover is surely no one, everyone will recognize how flexible and useful this architecture is. Spend a huge amount of effort painstakingly preserving and updating this garbage I wrote in twenty minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's there's so many examples of that, isn't there? I mean, oh yeah, uh, yeah. There I mean, it, internally, there's tons. There's like oh, just this throw this thing together, build script or whatever, and it's just we'll rewrite it later. 10 years later we haven't rewritten it um, things like that um, i mean flask was like a, a really quick hack wasn't it uh, like a joke at first or something and, i think it was an april's fools thing yeah i think so um, anyway uh, and the 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 other side is the the lesson that i think people should learn is planning on reuse is just a mistake i think uh, and i I've, I've i've been in many many design meetings where it's like let not let's not plan to six years out into the future on this. this That's ridiculous. We don't even know because I've also seen people plan for it and it is reused and it is maintained, but the things that you thought you were going to need to be variable are not the things that really need to change in the future. It's something yeah. else. So
1: Yeah, I, somewhere in the middle there lives a let's not overthink this, get it out there. Oh, let's take a moment and refactor it so it's yeah. like more reasonable in the way we now know it needs to be. Carry on.
0: So keep, uh, my advice, keep keep the interface simple. Keep it minimal, document it, and test it. And then if it grows, great. So, yeah, excellent. Awesome. Thanks for that. That's funny. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and thanks everybody for showing up. And thanks, Michael, again for uh, yeah. showing up. Great to be here.